Welcome to Left Foot. We invite fresh conversation on business development. Now here's your host, Nicole Giantonio. Hello, listeners, and welcome to Left Foot. Today, our guest is Jeff Antea, a partner and the chief marketing officer at Plant Moran. Plant Moran is among the nation's largest accounting, tax, and business advisory firms with over 2,000 professionals. Jeff and his team focus on establishing and expanding the firm's market position. Prior to joining Plant Moran, Jeff served as a senior manager in an accounting firm, a controller for a public company, and the VP of sales for a communication firm. Jeff, I've given our listeners some insight into your role and background. Can you expand on what I've said and give us a glimpse into who you are personally? Thanks, Nicole. That was a really great introduction. I appreciate it. I probably, like all of the listeners, are caught in the obsession of content marketing and digital marketing at this point in my career. And I think it's kind of brought so many of my previous experiences together because we, we're fortunate enough in many cases to now really get direct feedback on the importance and effectiveness of our actions, which is both wonderful and frustrating. So I'm really in this conundrum today of how to participate and derive personas and to best use all the content in digital marketing. I like how you put that. It's both positive and overwhelming. <laughs> I think as a forensics marketer, I guess, we're all trying to find the right answer. In my roles in leading business development and managing client retention, I've always looked at marketing as getting the message out, opening doors, creating interest, events, descriptive materials, really how the market sees the organization that the marketing team represents. And I look at business development as having that assignment of finding and signing profitable business. Do you look at it the same way or is that changing based on the new world we're, we're living in and working in, just really having to deal with different market conditions? I think it has some basic truths and I agree with you on the on the basic fundamentals. I think though in professional services marketing, it's slightly different because to a great extent, I, I view us as having two different sales channels. One being the partners and the practice staff in our firms and two, our business developers and, and maybe three, you might even say our digital media. Unlike traditional times when somebody would go out, a salesperson would go out and find targets and then marketing would feed them the right literature. I think it's it's more ubiquitous in dealing with partners and giving them the confidence to talk about the firm and about their practice areas. Most of the time, whether you're dealing with accountants like I am or attorneys or even management consultants, most of them didn't go to, go to school to sell. And so I think all of our overall goals are selling, equipping our sales channels with the tools that they need. And I think the lines are more blurred than they were before. It's interesting. I worked with actuaries for a number of years and very often they would say they were uncomfortable with selling. And then when we were out in front of clients, they did just fine because they were having business conversations and talking with the clients. Does your team have any best practices or any specific ways that they work with the professionals and with within the practices within your firm to make sure that everyone's on the same page as far as how they should be responding out in the market, what needs to be done from a marketing and business development perspective? That's a really good question. And and we do have some really talented people who 
aren't always aren't like a business developer aren't necessarily in that role every day having those kind of persuasive conversations. So I, I would say there's probably three elements of what we do. One, our business developers go on as many of our sales calls as possible. And I think the benefit that that brings is making sure that we hear the voice of the client or prospect first. We sometimes find that in professional services selling that once the client says they have a pain point, before they can even get the next pain point out, we jump in and say, we can solve that problem. And the problem with that is the client may have a pain point that they're not willing to solve. And you can get into this ping pong game of, I have this problem, I have the solution, I have this problem, I have the solution. Or you may never get to another another one of their pain points. So what we really try to do is if we say to the prospect, what's keeping you up at night? They tell us and we jump in, like the business developer can kind of turn it back to the client. We like to say, let's have the first meeting be about what their pain points are and the second meeting be about our solutions. But there's always this fear that they won't let us back a second time. So we try to balance that. The second thing is, you know, in proposals, we now practice on all of our big proposals, we have a dry run rehearsal with a marketing person critiquing it. And we find that that's been really, really helpful. And the third thing is we have a business development curriculum for many of our partners have been through and now some of our senior associates. And that uses a lot of videotaping. And you know, there's nothing that brings out what you're like in front of a client more than videotaping. And the other thing that I love about that is it seems so easy when we're talking about so many of these practice development techniques, but they're not so easy when you're standing in front of a live person. And it kind of emphasizes that these take some work. So I think those are the three things that we're really focused on. That's great information. I have to agree with you. Often, you know, I'd say to folks, you know, let's go ahead and do a dry run or, or do a prep session and really role play. And the response is, oh, I don't have to do that. And then when you start role playing, they see how challenging it is to actually respond effectively in those situations. We, we use post-proposal surveys or interviews with the prospects. And so it's through some of the feedback that we've gotten from the prospects that we're able to point out the need for the rehearsals. And of course, that emphasis on the voice of the customer listening to what their true issues are. Right. Exactly. It sounds like because you do have criteria, business development, coursework that your team goes through, that you have some standards that you promote within the firm. Have you received pushback or is there consensus that there is a way to develop business and retain clients and and grow current clients? I would say that there is consensus. There's always exceptions, but we have now had over a hundred partners go through our business development program. They have had fantastic results as they've gone through it. It's a proven methodology. And I think as far as serving our clients, We've been utilizing some some methodologies which allow us to really put ourselves in our client's shoes that I think all the partners buy into because they appreciate the value that it brings. And when the clients receive the information, they're appreciative as well. Is there a success story you can relay to our listeners where you've seen the teachings of that program be effective, possibly with a partner who wasn't as open to it earlier? That's a great question because we had you know some people who said, I'm a good business developer. I don't need to go through a program. And it's always hard to ask your good business developers to devote time. And there's really two conclusions that came out of that, or three, really. One, we offer over 80 different services within the firm. By being in a room with 19 other partners, you learn about services really well that you didn't 
even know existed or how to sell them. And so now you know how to sell 19 other services that you might not have been able to. And the first part about selling more services is to know we offer the service and what what problem it solves for our clients. I think number two, having a common methodology. So we do a lot of team selling. So the problem or the challenge there is, I mean, everybody's got to kind of follow their own methodology or it gets a little confusing for the person you're speaking to. So it gave everybody a way to kind of be on the same page. And then thirdly, just from a hardcore dynamic numbers perspective, by people going through this 13-month program where there's four two-day sessions, so they're in the classroom eight days, they have 17 targets that they're working on in the course of this 13-month program, and they have three check-ins with a coach who is a business development coach from our vendor. There's just a real sense of accountability. And the minimum person having gone through that program sells about $225,000. The average person sells about $500,000 in the 13-month. And our champion, you know, the guy who was really good in sales, bumped his sales that year up to a million six. And so I think that people look at that and they go, okay, there's the hardcore value to even the shyest person sold over $200,000 worth of business. And the average, like I said, 500. So I think we've used that as the proof point as to why it works. Fantastic. Two questions. The shy person. So, you know, I always talk about business development being a skill set and not a personality trait. What do you think was the value to that person that was shy? That's a great question because first and foremost, I think it is reminding people that we're not selling, we're helping. We're not trying to convince somebody to trade in their car that they just bought a year ago. We're looking for real business issues and and typically a real ROI that we can help them with. So I think understanding that is a really important thing. And I think a little bit more intentionality about how the the process and the repeats. And sometimes if you're shy, you think you call somebody one or two times and you think, oh, they don't like me or they're just not returning my call or I'm not good at this. And you realize that the difference between a successful business developer and somebody who's not successful is the guy who is successful doesn't give up and it takes over nine times to really make contact. Most of us give up at five and the shy person probably gives up at two. So I think understanding kind of the rules of the game is another that there are rules and that it's just not haphazard is a big benefit as well. Applying grit, right, in that process can be very helpful. Great response. You've been in this space for not a short period of time and the economy has changed. How have you changed your advice to your team and to the folks that look to you about growing the business? How has that changed due to market conditions? In addition to market conditions, the whole selling and marketing has completely changed. Long ago, we cut our last Yellow Pages ad and long ago, we stopped printing our last paper newsletter. And long ago, we stopped sending piggy banks that say, we're going to call you for a follow-up call. And now it's the environment of really being able to prove that you can add value by whatever insights you can bring to someone's business. So many of us are entering into that marketplace. When we first go into that, what we think is helpful to a client is to tell them about our business. And then we migrate into telling them about some issue, but we typically are way long-winded and nobody gets to the end of it. The business has become, you know, we're dealing with people whose average attention span is nine seconds. They get bombarded by emails. They probably don't look in their paper snail mailbox and their competition for their audience is so critical. And I think those are all challenges. On the positive side, with tools like LinkedIn, we're able to build our own channels and LinkedIn is acting more like the Facebook of for business people. And so you can effectively build a network and communicate messages if you know how to do it directly to your audience and build your credibility in a way that you never, you didn't really have access before. So I think that 
you know, the Lord giveth and the Lord taketh away. But it's the main point is it's clearly changed. We talk about people can find what they're comfortable doing, right? So some people are very comfortable writing and want to talk about what they know in a particular, you know, niche area and others really want to speak. I was interviewing someone this morning who felt that teaching was the best way that he could establish himself in, in his particular space. Are you comfortable having the 2000 people at Plant Moran out there on social media or have you established guidelines for the professionals within your firm specific to what they do put out there on social media, LinkedIn specifically? Yeah, that's a great question. Well, we treat posts on social media, original posts, just like we would the written word. So it still has to go through the same review process, whether you want to post a blog or LinkedIn um, messages. However, we use a tool and we provide uh, six to eight social media posts or articles that people can post to their social media sites each day, and they can customize the introduction to their audience. By doing that, they're able to build their credibility but we're able to do it within the firm standards. So Jeff, 10 years ago, someone suggested to me that podcasting might be a way to promote an offering. And of course, I was quite dismissive. Today, when I look out at the market, you know, I'm listening on Audible and really spent a lot of time in formats that didn't exist 10 years ago. In your opinion, in the professional services marketing area, what do you think is innovative? What are you seeing out there that you really think, wow, that is truly innovative? To me, the most innovative thing right now, and it's been around for a while, but maybe not accessible to many of us and that is this whole digital marketing. The idea that I can watch what somebody's doing with my digital assets and how they're consuming them and then be able to give them other like properties, reel them in, give them the medium that they most reply to, they most respond to. I mean, I think there's a general feeling that video is very popular. I think podcasts are really popular from the perspective of when you can consume those. I would love to do a radio channel. I think that would be a really cool way to get to people like when they're at the gym or whatever. The thing I think is the most important today is realizing what's the persona of the person you're trying to reach? How do they consume their information and matching that to them? And so we were just talking about people who are leading the private equity market probably consume emails or whatever on a tablet or a phone at best. And if you're trying to give them quote unquote thought leadership and you look what people put out to them as thought leadership, their fingers would fall off before they got to scroll to the bottom of it. So realizing like how long the content should be given the device that they're reading and the personality and temperament for what they're consuming, my feeling is you better tell them in the first sentence, like what you're going to tell them, kind of make it five paragraphs or less because that's a lot of spinning on a phone. I think it really starts with what's the persona of the person you're trying to reach and then backing up from there. I think that's a great point where I'm buying and consuming resources for my business that they know how to communicate back to me. I don't have to tell them. And I absolutely agree with you. I mean, if someone told me I had to open a document on my phone, it's not happening. Unless it's a contract that's going to provide me with additional business, it's not happening. <laughs> no, I agree with you 100%. These are changing on a daily basis. Any advice you would give those joining your firm that are just starting their career, specifically from a business development perspective? A great question from the perspective of it's multi-layered. So in person, being comfortable, have conversations and listen to the people you're dealing with and respond to them in kind. Don't necessarily be the first person that has to talk and kind of be able to tailor what you're trying to tell them around what's going to be important to them. So you're not going to know that without them saying it. Secondly, 
you know, being polite and courteous, because regardless of how intelligent you prove to people that you are, if you're a jerk, they're not going to want to do business with you. And I think reinforcing and reminding and staying in front of people who you think would be good people to network with or you might want to have business with to, to be intentional and be around them, be, make contact with them every three to four months out of sight, out of mind. And we have, you know, we've had people that said, I go to lunch with a different business referral source once a week for 52 weeks. That in my mind is a losing strategy. You'd be better off to pick your top 13 people and have lunch with them once a quarter. Let them hear what you've got to share with them to reinforce your knowledge. But secondly, make sure that they still remember you're alive. For me, a phone call comes in, somebody wants something. And it's probably the person I've talked to within the last week that I know that can solve that for my client that I go to. Somebody told me that they never got business with someone they hadn't seen in the last two weeks. To me, those are important things about your network. Great advice. I, time is such a, a valuable resource. I really do limit the time that I spend with people in person to those people that are comfortable referring my firm's services. I go to conferences and, and to other networking events where I can meet a lot of people. Those lunches and the coffees are somewhat reserved for those people that I'm building that relationship with. We'd be very much kindred spirits because I think that's exactly what it is. I mean, you can send emails to hundreds of people, but it's really those people that like you said, you think that's really reserved. And if that person moves out of that, you have can't be afraid to you know kind of move that spot to somebody else as well. You've got a lot of energy in your voice and definitely in the programs that you've established and are rolling out at your firm. What do you enjoy most about the work you do? There's two different angles. One, and I've talked sort of passionately about digital marketing and content marketing and all the different things that we're able to do, but that's really, in my mind, still the new frontier. And I say that it's been around a few years, but it continues to change. So really staying at the forefront of that is really important. And in professional services, it's not overproducing, nor is it underproducing, but I think producing in the right amount so that you really can use it. And then I think the other part of it is the psychology of producing information and disseminating it so that the partners can use it. I was at a conference recently and they used the word omni-channel, meaning if you produce marketing content that everybody's not able to use, it's really not as successful as a piece that everybody embraces. So how do I create thought leadership that all the partners in that sector engage in? We operate pretty deeply in 25 sectors. So we're creating a lot of thought leadership. And so getting that to the right people at the right time, you know, we found we were probably overproducing because by the time they did their client service work, we were fighting for their time to really understand the thought leadership. But if they didn't know the thought leadership and somebody asked them about it because we saw it in a newsletter, then we're really hurting ourselves. So it's really figuring out the right mix so that the channels are all working together and optimizing our selling network. Really figuring out what is the right amount, what is the right content, what is the right level, you know, so that you're serving all of the different businesses within your firm. That can be quite challenging. Any last points you'd like to make before we say goodbye? You know, Nicole, I think first of all, let me say I've enjoyed this. So thank you very much. And I think the only last point I would make is, you know, in this changing world of growing professional services firms, the one thing I think I've learned the most is just to follow my gut. I've sometimes have listened to people who I thought had the magic pill as to they would solve all of my solutions. Even if it didn't quite make sense to me, I thought, well, I just don't know content marketing enough. I don't know digital marketing. And I realized that you know, the real answer was inside me. I just had to find to bring it out. So that's the one point I would say is just trust your gut. Fantastic final point. Jeff, thank you. It's been a pleasure having you as a guest on Left Foot. Thank you for listening to this episode of Left Foot. Be sure to visit www.leftfoot.net to access show notes, sign up for our weekday series, and embrace what it means to lead with the left foot. Thank you.